No Cell Connection podcast listeners, this is JT. Welcome back to Behind the Connection, episode two. I'm excited to be here. First episode was really well received. I appreciate all the feedback that everyone sent my way. Rocco was a great first guest. And if you're new here, uh, the whole concept is pretty simple. It's just me and a friend or an acquaintance or maybe even beyond one of those someday. Just sitting here, watching wrestling and talking about wrestling fandom. That's the goal. So I want to dig into find out how certain people started watching wrestling, how it's affected their lives, either good or bad, what it's meant to them, and, you know, do they still watch like they used to, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll dive into those topics. And also, wherever the conversation tends to lead us, we will follow that path. So here on episode two, I figured I had to somehow try and top Rocco, and I'm like, that's not possible. But let me find someone who's just as inane and absurd. And who else could that be but uh, the one and only Mr. Peter Winston. Peter. Uh, I'm, I'm great. Uh, I have been called number two before, so it is very <laughs> fitting that I'd be going uh, number two in the order. But yeah, I, I, I'm glad to be here to kind of explore my own wrestling fandom. I almost feel like I'm in a psychologist chair. It is like, like a therapy it's... session. Uh, yeah. Anybody on earth that you end up hating wrestling, we'll see <laughs> uh, as, we, as we go. So <clears throat> part of the concept of the show is I let the guests pick uh a wrestling uh program to watch I- i'm assuming we won't end up like watching much of it or talking about it but i i find that these conversations tend to go well when there's wrestling on because i picture it like you're here at my house which you've been sitting on the couch watching wrestling and just like bsing as we're watching it right so that's kind of the concept here on the show um so the program you watch peter or you picked to watch was primetime wrestling from july 11th 1988 uh, so why don't we hit play, and then I want to learn a little bit about why you decided to choose this one. But this is on Peacock. I am paused at four seconds uh, here. So when you're ready, let me know. We can go ahead and hit play. If anyone wants to join in, feel free. All right. I am exactly at four seconds, and it is playing. Okay. Love the primetime theme from this era because you, you you just basically see every guy. Now, I know Superstars was kind of a similar concept, but it's all them hitting their big moves. But then you get the older ones, which I don't know. Did they end up dubbing over on the network? Because I had a lot of prime times on tape from when they aired uh, on like 24 seven and stuff. And I had that old, you know, like opening song in the like 86, 87. But I feel like did they dub dub that out for the well-known primetime song on the network? They, they did. Uh, the, the earlier one they did before the horns one that everybody, right. everybody loves uh but because i but i can't put in my head like if it's the real one on peacock or if it, I, i'm assuming that it's the dubbed one i think it's the dubbed i think 24 yeah. 7 had the original with the you know version and then i think they dubbed in the horns on the network but we do have the banana phone so why did you pick uh this episode well, when, when you explained the concept to me and, I, you know, kind of exploring my own fandom, the first thing I thought of is, well, maybe I'd pick a show that I actually went to. But that, that would be too easy and too sane and too normal a thing for me to do. So I kind of went back to my origins as a fan, which was 1988. Specifically, mm-hmm. the first thing I ever saw was the 1988 Royal Rumble show. Not the actual Royal Rumble match, but just pieces of that show. And this is the year that I was fully in and everybody who's listening to this, who has loved wrestling as a kid knows how it is. You're just so incredibly all in on it mm-hmm. for that, for, for that first year. And I was, I was nine years old. So WWF obviously had some sort of appeal to me. I don't know how I would have reacted if I was watching like Jim Crockett promotions. And that last year was like dudes openly blading on camera, like in the TBS <laughs> studio. Like, I don't know how I would have reacted to that. It's, you know, impossible to say. I always find the start year fascinating too. Um, in the late eighties, because you feel like it should all be jumbled together. Like we should have similar worldviews on wrestling <clears throat> but i find that if you start in 87 88 like you just witness different stuff than i did live like you got to see the wrestlemania 4 tournament you know maybe whether or not you watched pay-per-view you at least saw the build and how it played out and like this is stuff i could only have seen in retrospect and would have probably known about just because i'm kind of going backward renting tapes and stuff um so i always find it interesting like what everyone got to see live for the first time and how that influenced how they view certain wrestlers and stuff like to me 
you know, I would have seen some of those guys in 88 as washed up because I started in 90, right? But for you, they might have been heavily featured. So it's interesting. Like, to me, the Hockey Talk Man was a bum, right, when I started watching in 90. For you, he's, like, in the middle of being the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. A classic example of that is anybody who's ever listened to my podcast, Greeks Valentine or GFA Live, knows that I, I love Bad News Brown. Now, he had been around in the business, mostly working in Calgary and stuff. But, you know, I didn't I didn't know a thing of, of that. And that first year that I'm watching wrestling, who's the guy that's getting this mega push that's not losing to anybody that, you know, is the dude challenging Savage and challenging Hogan? It was Bad News Brown. Yeah. And that's why he, he that has to be a big chunk of the reason why he holds like such like an outsized place in my mind. And I think, you know, they always say like. Everybody loves the music that was popular when they were a senior in high school. Yes. It's kind of like everybody likes the wrestling from the year that they first started watching. And 88, I like kind of across the board. Okay, may- maybe not world class as much, but still, you know, I, I, there's a certain fondness for all of it. Well, and you're like a Survivor Series 88 truther, right? So because we just had this conversation. Uh, we were in a group chat together. And someone was a uh, Thanksgiving morning was like, what should I put on? And I think it was interesting to me because, again, it goes back to my like, when did you start watching? Because everyone, I think the year everyone put was probably the year they started watching, right? Or at least started like becoming cognizant yeah. of wrestling. At least it felt that way to me. I was like 89 and you were like 88 and someone else said 87. And I'm like, yep, it's all it's all right there for you. That's probably, you know, once again, kind of exploring my own psyche. Another reason why I hold that show in such high regard. That and the fact that for whatever reason, Survivor Series 87 was kind of a hard get at my local video store at the time. But right now we are watching the coronation of King Haku, which uh, watching as a kid, I... Well, then as now, I always had the utmost respect for Haku, and I would never feel otherwise. But I was like, wait, why do they need a king now? Like, (laughs) where did this come from? Because Harley Race had gotten injured around the time that I had started watching. And I I didn't see the Saturday Night's Main Event when it originally aired. I didn't start watching that, I think, until the April one. Because I started watching after WrestleMania four because I, you know, it, on a week to week basis, like I right, dipped right. in on the Royal Rumble. But as I've said on the podcast many times, the first segment I ever saw was Dino Bravo, be- the bench press thing that went on <laughs> yes. for like twenty one minutes. It's so like, were you impressed? Like, did that hold up to you, like long term? Like, oh, this guy in your mind was always like this super strong man, impressive feats of strength, or were you aggravated because it was so long? <laughs> Weirdly, I, I have a I have a path to my nine year old brain right now. And I just remember I was like, wow, is this dude actually gonna do this? Like and then also wondering why why are they taking so long? <laughs> like like the the segment seems to be going I, I, I turned into a Meltzer S critic in my first viewing of a wrestling program. Like, yeah, the segment's running a little long here. <laughs> now, Needs- could you see the the pinky pressure by Jesse and watching that? Would you pick up on that? You know, I've never quite picked up on that in all of my rewatchings of it. And uh, obviously, I would never fast forward through a Dino Bravo segment on a pay-per-view. Absolutely right not. There. Who's the guy with, is that Vashon next to Dino? Like, randomly? Yeah. Uh, th- no, that is actually Joe Ledoux, who oh. was in for about a six-week span, mostly losing to Tito Santana, as I recall. On house shows, he was in No Holds Barred, and which was filming around this time, so that I think they just you know let him work shows as a as a favor. Right, right, okay. But there, there's nothing uh, in my more recent wrestling fandom. I've grown to appreciate the other absurdities of wrestling, and it, maybe it's uh, maybe it's the fact that I, that I do a podcast and I, I I need to point this stuff out. But like we're watching Haku's coronation. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's nothing I love more than how they make all the other heels come down to the ring and, yeah. and stand there and watch this. And, but the thing that I'm watching most is where is everybody positioned in relation to each other? Like, why is Nikolai Volkov standing in front of the Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Tonk Man? <laughs> right. I feel like Honky deserves a greater position of prominence here. Why is Greg Valentine up front? Does he and Haku have some sort of pre-existing relationship i mean we know andre and haku are tight from the heenan family and that's why andre gets to gets to stand next to him 
Plus, I love how they also are wearing their gear. Not not yes. a single one of them in street clothes. <laughs> and this is why I love wrestling so much is because it, it just brings these. Uh, well, I guess Rick Rude wore his bathrobe. But like these absurd things like here's Bobby Heenan. He's wearing this dinner jacket with these like weird leaf things on him and then a freaking limousine or or a Bentley or a Rolls Royce or whatever on the back. And there's a little person as well. Like they feel like they have to have that. Is that Littlebrook? Yeah, I think they dragged Littlebrook out (laughs) for this to like accompany Haku to the ring, who is just, you know, just. Walking around, but all the heels applauding. I, Even Bad I, News. Wh- has Bad News ever been this happy for someone else? What, Feels out of character. He has to. He has to show. Res- is he there? Yeah, yeah. He's got the um. He's got like the full leotard shirt. I, I saw him a minute ago when they did oh, that other. Oh, thing. oh no! I do see him in the top right corner of yeah. the rank. Wow! This is the only time Bad News ever showed love for another human being, and of course, it had to be Haku. Because yeah, so they, respects oh, Haku. yeah. <clears throat> so like this is the other thing too that was it's brilliant to me <clears throat> the WF in like the late eighties and, and capturing children because you know obviously they got roasted by like Melser and insiders and, and true wrestling fans, right? But it is all these colorful characters and colors and look that really drew you in to see this. Like if you were flipping the channels and saw this, it instantly catches your eyes, right? Versus guys and just like a bunch of guys in trunks oh yeah kid, that just looks like oh just like another sports thing right whereas this you look at and it's like oh shit like this looks like superheroes or cartoons that like right to life in front of you you know i mean maybe it's my wwf fandom as a kid that kind of preconditioned me to look for all right how good is the lighting on this show that's going to tell me how major league this promotion right. is i mean if you're watching something from like the sportatorium, you know, it's not not as well lit as a superstars taping from like 86, 87, 88, what have you. Yeah, no, and that's definitely this bad news. That's definitely a thing because I remember like one of the first things I saw was world class. Like my dad had it on ESPN or whatever. And it did feel more like legitimate. Like I think I probably thought it was real, you know, more real. And I remember that even being like a talking point back then, right? That like WCW is real wrestling. And not in the fact that they wrestled. That, like, people actually thought it was real. And the Dirty F was fake because, of, like, the cartooniness of it. But that WCW was actually, they were actually wrestling. Like, I remember that being a talking point at that time. Yeah, I, I mean, when you when it comes down to it, they're actually probably more similar than you care to admit. I mean, they're, right. they're pro, their programs are basically the same. It was like squash promo squash. Uh, but I mean, I do tend to like the WWF extras a little bit more because I mean, we're watching gorilla and Heenan have banter back and forth here, which is part of what makes this era so great. And what made prime time during these years, eminently watchable is these two guys who are friends in real life, who just get to be these bickering, like dudes on camera. Right. And it makes it makes me happy because it's pr- like they're having the time of their life doing this, where it's like gorilla busting Heenan's balls, Heenan, you know, you know, being, you know, everything that Bobby Heenan entailed. Hilarious, probably should have been uh, a, a wacky neighbor on a sitcom at some point. I mean, well, it, this is not no more better co- wrestling comfort food than this era of these two guys, like. If you're gonna pass out and you're not feeling well and you're gonna put something like this is this is the voice of that nostalgia feel good right like this is this is what you want to watch like I fall asleep probably more to old prime times than anything else and and for me that would apply for virtually any era in which I've watched wrestling because like a lot of people I've gone in and out on it like after after uh, WrestleMania 18. I was like, ah, maybe I'll keep up with this for a little bit. And then they decided, all right, we're going to do the WWE draft and we're going to draft guys to both shows like Raw and SmackDown. I was like, no, screw this. I'm not watching two shows. So I gave up entirely. I was like, I would rather watch no show. That's a very Winston. That's a very Winston (laughs) attack at that. Did you? Sorry. So you start watching in 88. You ramped up fast. And then you stuck with it till 02. That's your whole first run. 
Oh, was there uh, a blip in between there? I, I did skip out for a while in the mid-90s, again, kind of following the pattern after WrestleMania 8, mainly. Although I did order Survivor Series 93 on pay-per-view mm-hmm. because, oh, yeah, because I, I, honestly, I really just wanted to see how the Boston Garden would look on a pay-per-view. Yeah, I'm weird like that. As a 14-year-old kid, I was like, I want to see how well this, the garden is lit for this pay-per-view. And I, I like, I casually, like, I knew who everybody was. Like, even, like, the, the weird Smoky Mountain stuff. I mean, I was, like, well aware of who the Rock and Roll Express were because I got TBS in, I think, late 1989. It was when Robin Green started manipulating Rick Steiner <laughs> right, was, yeah. the, was the first angle. And I don't want to say that changed my fandom, but it kind of expanded it because in 88, when I just wanted everything wrestling related, I would get the magazines at the local corner store, a joy that mm-hmm. kids today will, will never know. It's and I would learn about these faraway lands like like the NWA, like where is that? Who is this Arn mm-hmm. Anderson and Tully Blanchard who are number one over demolition? Like, w- what makes them so special? But like, <laughs> Colorado <I> was, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have it. I would take an interest in what was in these magazines. Like, oh, learn yeah. about learn about Memphis. Like, I basically followed the whole world class '89 angle <laughs> through that. Although I know it was also on ESPN, and I did watch world class on ESPN, but not as much as global wrestling federation in 1991 when i was just kind of again wanted to watch any kind of wrestling that would be thrown at me with the exception of herb abrams i never checked that out because (laughs) god knows even at 12 years old i had some standards those magazines were so great too like it wasn't just buying them it was i'd spend the whole time my mom was shopping at the front of the store it was a different era like I, i can't imagine right now you know, leaving my daughter at the front of the store as I go walk around. But, you know, I was 11, 12, and I would just sit on the bench at the front of, you know, Rock's Market or Jerry's Market or whatever and just read the magazines while she shopped. And that was it. Like, that was our shopping trip. I rarely ever went actually shopping with her. I just started. I would just sit in the magazine aisle and read the magazine. And if I didn't buy one, I read it. I, if I knew I was going to get one, I'd read the whole thing as fast as I could to make sure I got through it. I mean, there in recent years, I've walked through the supermarket and I know that they carry Pro Wrestling Illustrated mm-hmm. on occasion. I don't see it every time. And I'll even flip through it at this point. You know, right. it, it's not quite like 1988 through 1992, like the earliest parts of my fandom where I would, you know, I would want, I would get every single one, WWF magazine. When WCW put out a magazine, mm-hmm. I wanted that. Inside Wrestling, PWI, everything. The Wrestler. Yeah. And, and by the time I got back into wrestling, you know, I, I had stopped watching for, you know, on a, on a regular basis after 92. Started watching again in 97 because I became interested in, wow, wow Dennis Rodman is part of WCW. Ah, that's an interesting take. So Rodman, because I do hear a lot of people like the NWO brought them back in. Um, so I guess it's an extension of it, but it's interesting. So Rodman, so I mean, it speaks to like the idea of using guys like that, right? Celebrities to catch eyes because Rodman, Rodman brought you back. Yeah. And it was a, it was an odd confluence of things because that was happening. And I had an interest in that, but I also, you know, I, I had started my summer job and the, the guy who was going to be my manager was into wrestling. So, uh, he, so I, I thought, well, maybe I'll keep up in order to, you know, have, have conversation with him. Right. But it was also on that first Monday that I worked at that place. It was that Monday where they had nitro in Boston and raw was in Hartford mm-hmm. and you had the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart legitimate fight, fight right? yeah. in, in the locker room where, you know, Sean took his ball and went home and then, you know, the Nitro in Boston with the weird uh, Outsiders versus Flair and Piper match. And I remember tuning in for that. And I was like, oh, my God, like it, everything felt incredibly red hot, mm-hmm. even though at the time what we didn't know is that 
the NWO may have already peaked by then, and right. that, that WWF was only going to ramp up from that point. I mean, Rocky Mayavia, as he was then known, isn't even in the picture at this point. And right. Austin is a guy who hasn't had major neck surgeries and only has, you know, a normal number of knee braces on his person. Yeah, and that, I, I would say the, the NWO peak is an interesting question. Um, because you could argue it should have ended at Starcade, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the argument. Uh, I think they're still pretty good for a bit. I, I think the Hennig turn and joining to me is where it started to feel like a bit of overkill, but I think it's still hot until I, I think Sting should have just came back and wiped them out. Like, but I, I never criticize too much because it's easy to say you want to get out on top. It's hard to be the guy that pulls the plug on the angle that's made your company from a perennial loser into like the premier wrestling promotion, super successful, right? Like it's, I don't envy Bischoff at that era at all to be like, okay, yeah, this was awesome. It's still dominating our show. We're still hitting record ratings. We're going to, we're going to pull the plug and end it. Like I, I get why I get why he couldn't do that, you know? It's it's very similar to what you see in, in other legitimate sport of, like, a baseball player who has been great for a franchise for a long time, and they re-sign him to this contract, and it's based on what he used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to know when to when Hold to on. end things. The gambler was like, right. It's it's like when uh, you know the Cardinals let Albert Pujols go to the Angels, and then he had like the worst not the worst nine years of his career are all with the Angels. So right. they decided to you know they they made the correct decision on that. By the way, another reason why I think that I picked this show is because I knew Frenchie Martin would be involved mm. with holding the USA is not okay sign, and I knew that that would get a rise out of you. This is an interesting tag match, by the way. So it's Patera and JYD versus Bravo. And Ron Bass. Uh, it's a very interesting. All I match. see is a bunch of great workers out there, especially when Bravo was in there with JYD. Oh God, before. look at that bump by JYD. <laughs> this is late era Patera and JYD too. Where they're like on literally their last creamy legs. I like literally yeah. the the two baby faces. Uh, yeah, Patera is done around Survivor Series ding and. Junkyard Dog gets fired on the European tour under some weird circumstances i must be 10 seconds behind you because i i when you mentioned the jyd bump and i was like oh this this is gonna be good and it looked like it looked like a dude working in a local indie promotion in like his second match ever what a stupid finish too like these guys don't even i, I mean what are you protecting jyd oh god i'm not, I'm not gonna get upset about july 88 <laughs> primetime match booking but it's it's a frustrating decision um no doubt but all right so you come back in with rodman were you in on both like right actually you know what i want to circle back because it's interesting to me that there's so many people you hear it constantly that they did dip out in 92 93 and i mean it makes sense because the ratings and the numbers went so down that someone was you know you're, you're gonna know someone by default that was out on that period yeah uh i wonder if it's because i started so late that i wasn't ready to be done like you had already been watching by 92 for four years and by 92, 93, like it is getting dramatically different for you from when you started and fell in love with it. For me, it wasn't like super different because I got in like kind of post Hogan's like dominance, right? Like it's right, right around WrestleMania six. Um, so like, it wasn't that weird to me when he leaves. I mean, I was a Hulk Hogan guy, but he was already gone like a bunch of 90 for me. And so I don't know. I just, I think I wasn't ready to be done with it. And then maybe around the time where I normally would have been is like when they started heating up again. So I just like stayed with it. So I never had that dip in that era. Yeah. And even within like periods where I am actively watching, you know, I will have lulls like when, when warrior won the title at WrestleMania six, I was kind of like, all right, well I'm more of a Hogan guy. You know? Yeah. This is the way I would actually think at 11 years old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm the world's like uh, I'm, I'm like a young observer reader or something but um i i dipped out for a bit in 90 but i, I you know i kind of casually followed i would still get the magazines and all uh, i just wasn't religiously watching on a week-to-week basis but like when mid- 
yeah, like 94, 95, 96, like until the Hogan heel turn, I really didn't have much of an idea of what was going on. And I feel I must feel bad because I feel like everyone who did that, sure, you might have missed out and not have to sit through like 95 raw, like, like a lot of garbage um, or late 94, which is arguably even worse. Um, but you also I feel like the redemption wasn't as earned for you. Like you didn't get to enjoy that feeling of the rebuild hitting. Right. And if you want to compare it again to a baseball team, like imagine now, you know, as a diehard Orioles fan, which admired in garbage, <laughs> if you just bailed out and then you missed like, yeah, maybe two more crappy seasons, but then you miss an 88 win season, you know, and like where they've just missed the playoffs and maybe you miss where they make the wild card and then you come back and they're a division winner. Right. Like it would probably feel a little less earned that you didn't get to watch the rise to come up. So I feel like staying with the WF and wrestling in general, like allowed that payoff to mean so much when that product got so hot in 97, it felt like, fuck, like this is it. Finally, this is why I stuck with it. And you could see it coming every week. It's like 96 is a little bit better than 95 and late 96 is better than early 96 and early, early 97 is better. And then all of a sudden, like everything's on fire and it was like a diehard you had to watch. So like, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I watched a lot of crap, but then I also feel like I get to earn the, the comeback maybe more than people who just jumped in in the NWO era. That makes sense. Not to slag. No, but the, no, the, no, no, that does, that does make sense. Although what I learned in like that 97 to 02 era is that wrestling, wrestling's coolness seems to operate on a lag somewhat. Mm-hmm. Because like the WWF stuff in '97, and I know a lot of people don't like it after after SummerSlam and especially after Survivor Series, but I mean it was obviously generating momentum, and they managed to make lemonade out of the lemons that was Steve Austin's neck injury, where he just goes on a spree, hitting his finisher on guys and, and leaving. I mean that that was all that he did, and he got more over than anybody ever, but like let's think about it here is they don't become their hottest until 98 and 99 and like the 99 product to me is completely like i i can't rewatch it, it it's like it's just so trashy but like the nwo yeah. stuff in the middle of 97 while still hot because you hadn't done the sting match there are there's there's just something about it that like it it kind of extended on you had that failure that sold out and you know the a lot of bad nitros with you know endless you know segments uh even even in 96 i know it would get worse with like the later iterations of the nwo but yeah yeah in 97 i almost feel like things were kind of crossing at that point but they both felt hot at the Mm -hmm. time like, like it's, uh, I always tell people, it's like, you know, why do you, wa- why do you watch wrestling? And I say, like, why do you watch wrestling if you think it's so bad? And I say, well, because I watch because in hopes that they'll do better the next time. And when it's good, it's amazing. Yes. And uh, all, all I want is for WWE, for AEW, for uh, whatever the third promotion is going to be now that Ring of Honor apparently doesn't exist. Like I, I want all of them to be firing on mm-hmm. all cylinders because, uh, it, it, it's it's just a fun feeling. Like I remember what it was like back in '98 and '99. I mean, ECW was even part of the mix for me back then, and you know, one of my proudest accomplishments as a wrestling fan is going to a WWF, a WCW, and an ECW pay-per-view in a span of four and a half months. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a pretty good hot run right there. And especially, you know, that Heat Wave 98 show in for, for ECW, mm-hmm. it, it, it's held in a very high regard. And that's I had one with fun- uh, Hayabusa and Shizaki, right? Yes, and yeah. which is... I believe my uh, even to this day, my favorite match that I've watched live Mm -hmm. just just because I mean, it was a total sloppy spot fest. But that's exactly what I was looking for when I was 19 years old, because like now watching it, you know, I'm 42 now. I don't think that's something that I would want, like, you know, a, a modern guy. I mean, I'll watch that match back any day of the week because it happened then. But if they were to try and redo that now, like 
like the young bucks, like I don't hate them as much as some people, but you know, I, I, the, the kind of spottiness of their matches by spotty, I mean, it's just, you know, a collection of spots that doesn't make sense. You know, like a good classic, right. Southern tag match. I mean, nobody would dislike, nobody dislikes those. And, and I think you hit on something interesting a few minutes ago too, with, uh, the lagging indicator stuff, because I think it works on the back end as well, where, and I, I think this is in, it was either a Bischoff's, I think it was in the death of WCW book. It was the RD Reynolds, whoever did it. Uh, where he talked about how like ticket sales and crowds are usually like the last indicator. Like you can't go by sold out crowds because so much of that stuff is in advance that you it, like the product is going to dip before the ratings and the crowds realize it. So it's you got to be looking sharp at trends like to see week to week is it a blip or is it an extended fade, right? Like so early 98 WCW you would think if you just went by ratings and crowds and like like you would think it's still a massive juggernaut, right? But you can already see the cracks forming at that point that will lead to the issues that come in 99, right? So it's like and WF is the same thing. Like they were red hot but you can see the missteps in late 01 that you would write off every week as like, okay, whatever, like just a bad week. They're still the dirty F and they know what they're doing and it's going to be great. And then all of a sudden six months go by and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> like, we're, wait, how do we get here? And I feel like it's even like that for like sports too. Like, you know, it's now been nine years since the Jets playoff runs, right? But like when you're in it, it's like, oh, wow. Like, all right, it's only been a year. They'll get back on track. Oh, it's only been two years. Like, since the wreck stuff, they're going to turn it around. Then all of a sudden, eight years goes by, and it's like, fuck. Like, no, we never get it back. Um, and I feel like that's the same with, with wrestling in a way, where it, it's it's great, it's great, it's great. And then you're so sucked into it that you're not realizing or willfully ignoring those cracks are starting to pop up. And then I think the companies ignore them as well. And that's what leads to stuff like going from being a multi-million dollar juggernaut to, you know, Bischoff getting fired overnight. Yeah, I mean, it all happened so fast. Like the time from Starcade '97 to when Bischoff gets fired is less than two years. Right. And it seemed to go by. It seemed to go by so fast. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain point where, ooh, WWF is in trouble, like financially. Like they don't want to pay Bret Hart's contract. And I remember at the time thinking, boy, maybe they really, maybe they really are. I mean, this is when they were still privately owned. Right. Maybe they really are in trouble because, like, why would you just willingly give away one of your top guys who is also a connection to international markets mm-hmm. and, and and especially into Canada? Because Brett had they had just come off that run where it felt like they were it felt like they were taping TV in Canada every single week. Like, oh, here's a raw from Nova Scotia. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> like. And, and Brett, Brett's gone, and you figure, oh, well, WCW will just move into Canada, but they were too stupid to know better. Right. They do, like, one show there. But so bringing those two points together now, like, it's crazy that how you don't realize, too, as things are going, because you're booking buildings ahead and, and everything else, like, they have some of the hottest shows are in some barns in 97. You know what I mean? Like, like they're still in tiny Northeast arenas through a lot of 97 when they're not in Canada, because the product was getting hot, but you can't prepare for it to be hot, right? Like, so they weren't ready yet because they weren't realizing how hot they were getting. So they don't really start to look big time until 98. But you could argue, like you're saying, like 97 is some of their hottest stuff. Yeah. And as you get into 98, it felt like everything was working for mm-hmm. me on at least through SummerSlam. And then after SummerSlam, things started to go off the rails, which I think... A lot of that had to do with Austin, just his his health being so spotty uh, because of the neck injury. And, you know, it, 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 thank God The Rock came along because otherwise I don't think they stay as hot as they did for as long as they did because you know, Austin can carry them through, but then he goes away at the end of 99 and who's going to carry it? Well, it's not going to be Triple H. It's going to be The Rock. Mm-hmm. Because he he was that other other guy who who was there who you know the, there was a certain point in my fandom and I as a high school freshman 
who was extremely antisocial, related to Stone Cold Steve Austin. But there became a point where I became a rock guy and I kind of started to tire on Austin a bit. And that would have been SummerSlam 98. Yep. When people almost were kind of cheering rock in some ways where he, he does the iconic people's elbow uh, onto the ladder against Triple H or like MSG is finally showing him proper respect a little less than two years after that ridiculous debut with all the I don't even know what to call that outfit. But, um, you know, they had the 25th anniversary <laughs> for it and uh, he wasn't there. <laughs> Should have been. The uh, it's funny because for me, going to college in the fall of '98, like that's that's when I thought I was starting to dip out, which is an interesting time because you could argue it's at its oddest. Um, and I was prepared, honestly, like mentally to say, "All right, I'm going to live on campus for the first time." You know, I only had a couple friends at home that were really into wrestling that I relied on, and now I'm away from them, so not really knowing like what it's going to be. And I ended up my roommate, um. I had to meet like he emailed me like a month before and I remember he emailed me. He's like, do you like wrestling? And I said, no, because I'm like, you know, like you're 17. It was kind of getting cool, but not like not red hot yet. And then he wrote me back. He's like, oh, too bad. He's like, I'm a big fan. I wrote back. I'm like, all right, so am I. I guess I didn't know what to say. <laughs> um, and he wasn't like a super insider type fan, like kind of what I had become. Right. He was just more of like a fan of wrestling. And he had been for a long time. Like he liked it as a kid and stuff. So we watched, but he wasn't like. I got to watch Raw on Monday nights at 8, eight right? Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, if he was there, he'd put it on type of guy. Um, and then I did find a friend uh, who was into it. So I started watching regularly again, probably toward late 98. But there's definitely a blip in there where I was more disconnected um, during a hot time. But I think when, you know, that was super fun watching it come up. And then like 2000 was super fun, too, because that's when it was at its most acceptable mainstream and it felt like man it felt like it may last forever at that time like mtv was all over mtv like everyone had the shirts on like it was just like super cool and in like it felt hip like even the music they would use on the shows like it's everything fell in tune in, in 2000 like i yeah. that's to me is definitely their peak as far as like this shit is acceptable form of pop culture right now and it's funny, I, I remember thinking at the time that, yeah, while Austin, you know, had a surgery and came back and, you know, it felt like he was aging rapidly. It's like, OK, well, Rock here is not yet 30 years old, or at least I don't think he was 30 in 2000. It's like, oh, well, this dude's going to be around forever. Well, of course, he finds out that making movies is a lot easier on the body, as it turns out, than mm-hmm. wrestling, you know, you know raw smackdown and you know three bs house shows during the week and uh, oh yeah and i can make a lot more money and become more internationally famous that way uh so he he decided to go off and do that and they have not created a star quite as big as him although cena is say cena is pretty close yeah cena almost got there but i mean rock's hollywood career put him into like a weird stratosphere that i don't think anybody anybody could could hope to like it's so funny because wrestlemania 18 rock and hogan uh obvious obviously a tremendous match both both in the initial watch and in the rewatch but the fact that Rock was the manifestation of everything that Hogan dreamed of being, like mm-hmm. this respected actor who would get consistent roles, like Rocky ended up being that, and Hogan never got there because he, I think Hogan always wanted to be the leading man, like in, in those movies, and it just wasn't going to work that way. It took time before. Dwayne Johnson became a leading man in movies. Right. So it's like he did he a became, ton of shit before that. Yeah. Yeah. He's like in the Scorpion King or, or whatever that be was. cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, is Cena the third most successful wrestler ever? And I don't mean in wrestling. I just mean like star pop culture star. Like. Yeah. You know, Rock it, is obviously number one. Hogan's two. Is like Cena three at this point? I mean, Piper maybe is Piper three and Cena four. Like, I mean, uh, Cena's like pretty well known. I mean, he's like I think more people may know him at this point. Like, not wrestling than wrestling in a way. Like, 
he's you know fucking uh today show whatever you know he, what's the one he was co-hosting was it Reach? Yeah, he's, he's, show? he does like you know hefty commercials uh, you know I, i'm traveling for work i'm in a hotel i turn on i think some you know bs talk show on fs1 and mm-hmm. who's being interviewed but john cena oh no wait it was actually the yes network that had an interview with john cena and i was like wow I, of all the people on the yes network i would not have guessed john cena first and yeah was, he's oh, everywhere movies well, well, yeah i mean he, that guy is such a master the, the way that he because he works in an era in which the degree of difficulty for him is so much more mm-hmm. because you know they design for everything to be split 50 50 right and and then that's the way a lot of his matches were until it reached kind of a tipping point where even like j- the most jaded longtime fan would say all right i i respect this guy and what, right. what he's contributed i mean because he had a run basically longer than what bruno had in the company I mean, and I he had like two distinct like really great really shitty really great really like he he started off good then everyone kind of hated him then he got hot again in like 07 mm-hmm. and then his like 09 10 stuff is like kind of shit but then he gets hot again with the punk stuff but then everyone kind of hates him again and then he does the open you know gets killed by brock and does the open challenge and then heats up again i think a lot and of people respected hot. him for that brock match though i think that really turned mauled. his career around and it's funny because that's right after the Bray stuff is like almost the peak of that last cycle of hate for Cena, like that he beat Bray and that whole feud. And then, yeah, when Brock destroys him, it was so cathartic and felt so good that it was like, all right, this is a dude that just kind of did what he was told all these years. And then on the heels of the Brock thing, he wins the U.S. title. And I mean, the IC title and does the open challenge and all that or U.S. And yeah, um, U.S. Yeah. And like that's since then, he's pretty much been. I don't say beloved, but. Like you don't get as much of the hate of Cena after that, and he became suit. That's when he became Super Worker Cena, right? He's got the classics, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and um, AJ Styles and Seth Rollins. You know, like all, all those big matches start to come in, and he's got the great feud with the Miz. With you know, Miz was doing his the peak of his stuff, making fun of the you know, and then John Cena does a crossover on Total Bellas, and everyone loves him on there. You know, he's a psychopath, but it's like you know, like, everyone is like super into. You know, he just he just got super over again, and like everyone started liking him as a person, and I think that's carried over to make him. Uh, this is a big prime time, by the way. Like we had that attack earlier when the attack Andre attack on Savage where he chokes him on the floor, and now we just had Hammer kicking Billy Graham's knee, which I think ends with him. Like this, yeah, it's the end of Billy Graham, right? <laughs> like at this well, point. well, Billy Billy Graham is confined to the broadcast booth because right. he is. For all intents and purposes, immobile in the ring. I, I I love the idea of Valentine interfering in a Danny Davis match. It's like, <laughs> all right, I gotta save my stablemate here. Another one of the absurdities of wrestling that that I love is that, oh, we we happen to have the same manager, so we have to stick up for each other. We gotta be buddies. <laughs> the uh, it's funny because I'll see these prime times and these matches from MSG, and I have no recollection of watching it for the place to be. Even though we watched every MSG match from '85 to '92, like I didn't realize. I just realized that was an MSG match. I had no memory of. Well, I, this, I mean, this is 1988 we're talking about here. I mean, you recorded that ago. what three years ago now? I want to say. Yeah, probably three, three and a half, something like that. Yeah. Um. All right. So you dip out. You come back in '97. You dip out in '02. Where did you come back from there? It it took all the way to 2014, but with the caveat of when the whole punk stuff happened at Money in the Bank, and it started getting play in certain media like ESPN, Grantland, that whole stuff. I kind of was casually following it at that point, which it's interesting. I always found it interesting that it was the the punk stuff and not the whole Rock returning to host WrestleMania and then them creating Rock versus Cena a year in advance. It, it, it wasn't any of that. It was the the punk stuff. And this was the first that I had ever heard of CM Punk. And I thought, well, that's a stupid ass name. Like, <laughs> but, but, you know, in the last seven years, even though when I came back in 2014, why did I why did I tune into the raw? It's because I had read something online about CM Punk walked out on the company. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, 
Well, I might check this out because I don't know what, you know, it, it, it's like a jarring event got me to start watching it again. And then when the network got announced, I said to myself, boy, this is $10 a month for me to be able to watch the 1992 Royal Rumble and 1988 Survivor Series ding whenever I want. And that was that that was the poll for me, like not not the pay-per-views. That was just kind of incidental. Right. And I didn't really even watch them all after a certain point. I mean, so interesting. So the network, I mean, I wonder how many people, you know, were like you where the nostalgia of the network and the ability to rewatch stuff at a cheap price point ended up bringing in eyeballs. I mean, there was probably some success on some level, despite they're always struggling with subscribers over the years. I, I at that point I had started going through some old VHS tapes and mm-hmm. one of those included the March 89 Saturday night's main event and I I still had a VCR at that point but then right around the time of the network starting I got a new TV where like the VCR hookup didn't work anymore so I was like well thank God for the network so I can watch this and that but as we know, WWE Network sometimes disappoints with the offerings that go on there. It's like, all right, we're adding 13 new superstars from 1994. It's like, oh, yeah, well, why would we want to watch the ones from 1988 or 89? I mean, with Vince and Jesse. Oh, yeah, that's right. We'd have to cut a check to Jesse. Right. Uh, in, in order to. Or edit that. the banners, the superstars' banners and everything else. Yeah. Um, I mean,. Like the hit, the whole hidden gems fiasco, mm-hmm. which I mean, granted, I'm more of a historian, you know, of like, you know, I want to watch older stuff than probably the average viewer. Right. And but after a while, I found, all right, well, what's on the network isn't enough. So, you know, there are these enterprising souls who post episodes of wrestling mm-hmm. to YouTube which is, you know, where the whole genesis of, of, of my podcast, Greetings of Allentown, came from, is I would sit down and I would watch often random episodes, but eventually in the summer of 2016, there was this one account who had all, like, every edition of WWF Championship Wrestling from the beginning of January of 84 all the way through about August. So I, right. watched, all, I watched all of them in order. And, and those, are, those are, the like, the last sets of, Allentown tapings that mm-hmm. you know include Cindy Lauper showing up, but you know it kind of made an impression on me and kind of why I wanted to include Allentown in the name of my podcast in 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 some way. So you were hard out from O two to four, like hard, like no clue what's going on, or would you like dip in and kind of pay attention, or just all, all right. in, not in? Well, I look at it this way: when I I, I came. I moved back to Massachusetts in 04 and I started dating my now wife in 05. And if she knew that I watched wrestling, that probably would have been a relationship ender at that point. So I, I decided to wait until I was married for three and a half years before breaking the news. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Which so were I know, you like undercovered or just like you just quit until you were ready to tell her? Oh, I, I just quit. I mean, I was aware of certain major, like when, when the Benoit stuff happened, right. even, even when Vince got blown up in his car right before that, like, oh, that's weird. And, you know, WrestleMania 23 and, and a handful of other things. But it was really the punk stuff because I thought it was edgy and interesting in a way that I hadn't seen since the the nwo and granted i was a late adopter because i didn't start re-watching until about a year after hogan's turn but i remember when it ha- i remember when hogan turned heel i was like huh all right well that finally happened <laughs> like i was out but i just like right. okay you well that that's an interesting thing like you have know, you I- been back in since then now like and not just classic stuff. Like, have you watched consistently the new stuff? Have you been in and out of that? Mainly watch the old stuff. Like, what's your run been since the return? Um, I have been. I, I was really diligent for about a full year, and then there was one specific show that, well, actually, two specific shows that kind of drove me away from investing all the time to watch the weekly TV, both Raw and SmackDown, although really more Raw, and that would be WrestleMania 31, and the raw after WrestleMania 31, mm-hmm. which I mean, 
WrestleMania 31 to me was it was a terrible show with terrible matches and an awesome main event that was marred by a terrible finish of let's create a new world champion by I, I hate the whole money in the bank concept because right. it, it just creates like the weakest possible champion that you can do in every case. I mean, I love the big E moment, but it, it only matters if he's an actual strong champion back to 2015. I, I hate, I hated WrestleMania 31, but the night after I thought, okay, well, Brock's going to get revenge. And then they do the angle where Brock destroys Michael Cole, which albeit was fun. And then they had the weird Byron Saxton, you know, being silent for 20 minutes, uh, thing. But that was one of the more obnoxious WWE crowds ever. Right. And uh, I'm not afraid to say that I hold a lot of wrestling fans in contempt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I not so much at like indie shows that I go to because because I really enjoy it on that level. But on a, on a lot of like these, you know, big WWE shows where it's like, oh, here's Brock Lesnar guy. Well, I, I, I hate him. Oh, there's the guy with the Mets jersey who always sits opposite hard camera. It's like, like, really? I mean, like, can't you be like Billy Joel and make sure that we, you know, have a different different set of people in the front <laughs> row for, for your shows? I mean, oh, my God. And, and, and like some of it just just bothers me so much. Of course, I say that as a wrestling podcaster who you know has an aim of, I guess, growing his audience. It's like. Well, I, it's obviously not everybody, and I think a lot of right. wrestling fans hold that in contempt. People who think that's why that so many don't admit it, <laughs> like this, because of the the view of it. Yeah, I mean, well, like I said, I had to wait until I was three and a half years, you know, married uh, at, at that point. But like, like the the whole Izzy thing at NXT and everything that I read about that, where like they have this incredible power trip of like, oh, we are the special fans. It's like. Can't we just can't we just go into the building, watch the show, and, and you know, laugh, yell, whatever you want to do at that point, instead of like, you know, trying to make this in your own agenda, like, I, I, like that 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 bugs me. There's certain periods where wrestling gets a little too intense with the online talk. Mm-hmm. I I was extremely. Well, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was extremely militant in my dislike for that Bray Wyatt, John Cena crap fest at WrestleMania, WrestleMania. 36 yeah. with the with the clips and everything, because uh, I don't like, recognize anything that happened in wrestling from March of 20 until July of 21. So it, w- it was such it was such a tarnish. Let's just say Cena. April 21, Tampa, such a tarnish on John Cena. Having having done that, and what for for Bray Wyatt, a, a guy who would end up released like a year and a half later, and would be like you know just cause for uh, spontaneous celebrations bro- broke out across the country, as I understand it, when Bray Wyatt got released. Because please notice, he has not been picked up by another wrestling company to this point. Nice picking right. a spot. The yeah. uh, so did you ever go back and watch that big gap that you missed, like any of that stuff? Oh. Oh, oh yeah, I've made sure to like fill in not only like the gap in the mid '90s, and I find those shows interesting because you know when I when I do watch them, it's like okay, I, I am seeing this for the first time. But I'll go, I'll go back. It, it, when I was a kid, I would rent Coliseum videos that had old matches on right. it. But we did not live in an era where like the May twelfth, nineteen seventy nine edition of Championship Wrestling <laughs> right. is on YouTube, and it's like. Oh, I can watch this. I mean, YouTube changed everything in a way similar to the network, you know, basically easily allowing people to watch, you know, any pay-per-view because that was kind of the main draw, both historical and the new ones. But I loved watching like old episodes of TV because like when would I have ever seen 1984 WWF TV before? I would have had to been part of a a tape trading community that I occasionally find weird, but did take part in, you know, when I was like 20. Even then, it might not have had some of that weekly stuff, you know, like some of those raws were just in your memory, unless you recorded them yourself. Yeah. I mean, like, like some, like I have no desire to, to rewatch like 98, 99 Mm -hmm. raws at this point. Cause you know, I, I saw them when they happened and it's fine, but 
like these boring 1983 editions of championship wrestling. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll watch that. I'll watch Big John Stud throw a guy around for three minutes and pin him. Like, even though nothing happens, like, I love having that on as, as background, as, especially in the morning. I don't think I've done it quite as much recently because you have so much competition with other things. I mean, you know, when I started watching all this stuff again on YouTube in 2014, you know, HBO Max didn't exist back right. then. I mean, I don't think I even had a Netflix subscription then, or at least a little after. So, and it just makes you angry that this wasn't around when you were a kid. It's like, like I had so much free time and downtime and nothing to do, and I just rewatched the same shit over and over. You know, like how many times did I watch In Your House Three or Survivor Series '93 or you know any of that stuff? Like, because that's all I had. But man, if I had the ability to watch all this stuff as a kid when I had all that time. Would have been mind blowing. I mean, all, all that stuff is like the the rental store experience, especially for somebody mm-hmm. my age, your age, you know, born between like 1972 with 1985, something like that, you know, just off the top of my head. But even like, even when I started rewatching again in '97, uh, the the video store was still a thing. Like there was a blockbuster yep. in the in the town center. And I remember specifically going down there to rent King of the Ring 94 and SummerSlam 94 because I had never seen them before. And, uh, well, let's just say mixed emotions about those shows in, re- in retrospect. But, um, you know, the, 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 video, the video store experience, it, it felt like you, you earned something by, by, by going to a store. It's like, all right, I will give you, I will give you $4.00. And I can watch best of the WWF volume one for the next 48 hours straight. So long as I rewind it when <laughs> I return it to you guys later in the on. rewinder. Did you ever rewinder or did you just use your VCR? Yeah, we had a separate rewinder. Yeah. Yeah. Can't burn out the head in the VCR. Yes. Yeah. I remember going to video store. I'd say as late as like. Oh, two, Oh three, like still like Hollywood video was hanging on and, and some blockbusters and stuff. The mom and pops were all pretty much evaporated by then, but. Occasionally, I would look in the even when I was completely dormant between O2 and 2014, I will admit I did buy the rise and fall of ECW on DVD at like some FYE or one of those mall stores because I saw that and it 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 triggered a memory in me of going to original ECW shows Mm -hmm. and just how just how fun that was. I mean, because because I'm going to these things by myself for the right. most part, and to have to have fun in that environment, you know, you, you don't necessarily expect that going in, but there I am taking you know a, a train to a dog track just outside of Boston to watch, you know, the, the, well that's the place where New Jack had the infamous uh, blood incident with that underage kid, but I wasn't right. thankfully I wasn't there for that show, but. They kept running that venue, and I would I would go to every show there until they became, I guess, too big for it. And I, like, I I love that I was old enough to be able to go to that because I mean, by the time I turned twenty two, that company was gone. It's 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 just a memory. I mean, geez, I I think I, I went to an ROH pay per view five years ago. I couldn't tell you the name of it. I think it was All Star Extravaganza. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, it was, it was some, some good matches, but you know, um, I mean, I maybe don't hold it the same way as like those, those ECW shows in 97, 98, 99 in like these little venues with, you know, well, and when you can fully invest yourself, it's always going to be different, right? It's just always going to feel that way. Uh, when you're that into it at that age, you don't have other worries or commitments or any of it right you can fully be engrossed in that it's your life it's your hobby it's everything else whereas now you may feel strongly about it i mean you know we go on these trips and stuff together and pay money to go to the event still and all that stuff but and and they're fun for a different reason right now they're fun for the camaraderie and the gathering and all that whereas back then it was fun because you were like part of the moment and the movement and you were diehard it's just it meant so much to you and then to be there live was just an experience I mean, the fact that I was able to even go to Heat Wave 98 is amazing in retrospect because I was 19 years old. I lived in Massachusetts. The event was in Dayton, Ohio. It's like, how do I get from there from, you know, from Massachusetts to there? 
Well, I drove out there with my friend who was dating a girl who lived in Ohio and she like the catch was you can stay for free, but uh, it, you have to you gotta stay film. A, you got to film them. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, his girlfriend was the count, one of the counselors at a Christian Bible camp. Oh. So, so there I was staying at a Christian Bible camp for a week in order to go to an ECW pay-per-view. <laughs> I mean, the only person in history that did that. It's 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 so insane when when I think about that, just just objectively. But I I I love that I was that I was able to. I love that I got to be a fan during that time. Mm -hmm. And it's my hope. Well, you know, I'll I'll rag on things that AEW does, and especially Meltzer, like basically being a mouthpiece for them, as like the the you know, reporter of wrestling as he is. But like I said earlier, I want all these companies to be doing, I wish WWE was doing better. I'm glad that AEW is doing so well mm -hmm. and, and running so hot right now. Um, you know, because it, it, it's just more fun when, when everything is like that. I, I want that feeling again, like it was, in 97 and 98 where you had two competitive companies going at it and they were both doing their absolute best and there was none of this i mean i, I don't want to say none of this corporate bullcrap because obviously wwe is one guy who's a megalomaniac and wcw at that time was literally like one of the world's largest corporations in time warner so I like I, I just want to have that feeling. I know that, you know, the childhood innocence era of like 88, mm -hmm. 89, that's never coming back. But I just want the week to week excitement. of like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, with like my critique of modern wrestling is that almost all baby faces suck these days. Like, right. Can, can we book a like it doesn't even have to be a likable guy. It could be somebody like what Austin was where he was a sociopath because that often speaks to people. I know it spoke to me in 97 and 98 because that's who I was then. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I just wish that we had better baby faces now, but I think a lot of it is guys want to be heels. So they want to be like the cool heel rather rather than a face because nobody really knows how to do it except for except for cena who you know would get annihilated for it but the guy would never break and i respect that about him well like till the wet sprocket once saying all i want is to feel that way peter and i think we all feel that way that we want to kind of recapture some of that magic um and like you said if if everything can heat up at the same time it's it's awesome and i think AEW really came around at the right time. I think we all needed it. And that includes WWE. Like, I think everyone just needed it. Because we went, this was the longest stretch we've gone, I think, as wrestling fans, feeling this level of darkness. I mean, I know New Japan and um, Ring of Honor got hot at different times. But, like, we haven't had that real strong challenge of promotion in a long time. So it's, it's amazing that it's here and that we can maybe have a, a semblance of what we felt like back in, whether it's the 80s or 90s. But... Um, all right, I think there's no better time to wrap up than in a one-man gang squash, Peter. Uh, but this has been a lot of fun delving in uh, to wrestling fandom, just in general about about you know wrestling over the years. This has been a fun watch too. It's a pretty sneaky loaded episode of Prime Time, so it's a good one to check out as well. And you can also check out everything the North South Connection has to offer. Tons of shows dropping almost every day. A lot of it's evergreen content, deep dives, looking at the minutia, the the edge of the cheese platter of wrestling, and beyond. Uh, Peter, anything you want to plug before we go? Well, greetings from Allentown. I, I'm on a more sporadic schedule, but looking at w one episode of wrestling, usually one hour in length, where I'm just doing it by myself. And also GFA Live with my pal Keithy. Our most recent project was summer 1991 WWF, but we're going to be back at it very, very soon with my cousin Vinny. We're going to watch mm. that because we really like Joe Pesci movies, as it turns out. <laughs> and that that really holds up. I watched it uh, not that long ago. It was on, and I happened. It's a, one of those, definitely one of those movies where you know you get really sucked in, a hundred percent. Like if it's on, you got to watch the whole thing. So I'm looking forward oh, to that part. Every, every single time, and if I ever met Ralph Macchio, 
I would make it a, like if I had a one-hour conversation with Ralph Macchio, I would challenge myself to not bring up Karate Kid. I would I would only talk about my cousin Vinny, the Outsiders, and the New York Islanders, and that would be that would be my way not talking Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio. It was probably probably uh, about done talking about those movies unless it's in the context of the Great Cobra Kai. Always, yeah, always. All right. Uh, so, look, Peter. Thanks for going behind the connection with me. I appreciate it. We'll be back soon. Again, this is a pretty random show. I'm just gonna kind of do it when I have a window to do it, and when I can get a guest. And uh, I appreciate you joining. It was a lot of fun. Hope you had a good time. Everyone, take care.